0: for joining us and supporting Vickydo Fitness. We ask for your continued support by becoming an It's All About Health and Fitness premium member. Go to www.vickiedoefitness.com forward slash join. Again, that's www.vickiedoefitness.com forward slash join and register for a $6 monthly subscription. And remember, Keep listening, sharing, and checking us out. The views and opinions expressed are for general informational purposes only. Consult with your physician or medical health care provider for medical advice, diagnosis, and or treatment. Today, we talk about living life after a stroke. According to the CDC, stroke kills nearly 150,000 of the 860,000 Americans who die of cardiovascular disease each year. However, there is good news. Four in five strokes are preventable. That is why it's important to know your risk for stroke and take action to reduce the risk. But most importantly, if you think you or a loved one may be having a stroke, take action fast and get help Immediately, We have joining us Ted W. Baxter, a former financial powerhouse, a massive stroke survivor, and also an author of his book, Relentless, How a Massive Stroke Changed My Life for the Better. Ted Baxter is here to talk about his book and to share with us his experience of determination and hope as he recovered from his massive stroke. Make sure you go and buy his book, Relentless, How a Massive Stroke Changed My Life for the Better on Amazon.com. To find out more about Ted Baxter, go to his website, www.tedwbaxter.com. All this and more on It's All About Health and Fitness.
1: Welcome to It's All About Health and Fitness with Dr. Vicki Hayward-Doe and Dr. Virginia Banks-Bright. This program is brought to you by Vicki Doe Fitness, a multimedia health and wellness forum. Now, here's your host, Vicky Doe and D. Banks-Bright.
0: I'm Dr. Vicki Hayward-Doe, and with me is the one and only Dr. Virginia D. Banks-Bright. Vicki Doe, don't you know... Well, uh, <laughs> I think I might know a little something to that. How are you? It's something about sunshine. It just makes you just wonderful. It Motivates
2: you. Doesn't it motivate you? Absolutely. This weather, I, I'm not complaining about hot or anything because, you know, here in Northeast Ohio, it's winter and it's July and winter. It's July and, and winter. winter. That's it. Yeah, that's that's it. pretty much it. And then it's a lot of rain because remember yeah, we just had coming a lot off of, rain. Off a, yeah, lot we've of had rain. a lot of rain. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So we are I'm trying to live these days and enjoy the Me weather too. while we can I am
2: too, every day. Every Me day
0: too. Well today we talk about living life after a stroke. And we will discuss some of the actions that we should take if we think we are having a stroke. You can live a quality and have quality of life, even if you have suffered from a stroke. Now, according to the CDC, stroke kills nearly 150,000 of the 860,000 Americans who die of cardiovascular disease each year. So that's one in every 19 deaths from all causes. The key is for us to remember that anyone, children, adolescents, anyone, can have a stroke at any time. And every year, there's about 800,000 people in the U.S. that have a stroke. About one out of four of those strokes are recurrent strokes. So when you have one stroke, that means you definitely are at a greater risk for having another one. Now, research has shown that high blood pressure is a main risk factor for stroke and that about 80 percent, you know, I always talk about this, Mm -hmm. 80 percent of strokes are preventable through lifestyle changes. Now, you can greatly reduce your risk for stroke by making lifestyle changes to help control your blood pressure and cholesterol. But then we always talk about stress, too. Yes. You got to learn how to control stress, be able to cope with stress much better. And then also you can um, control your risk and reduce your risk factor for having a stroke by taking proper medication. Now, let's talk about women. One in five women in the United States will have a stroke in her lifetime. Stroke kills twice as many women as breast cancer does, making it the fourth leading cause of death for women. And according to the CDC, about one in three women have stage two hypertension. That means having blood pressure greater than or equal to 140 over 90. And only about half have it under control so we have to control our blood pressure if we have high blood pressure and when we talk about african-american women we are more likely to have a stroke than any other group of women in the united states They are also more likely we are more than likely to have strokes at younger ages and to have more severe strokes and so almost half of African-Americans have a risk factor that can lead to a stroke. And what is it? Well, African-American women are diagnosed with higher rates of high blood pressure, and that's more than two in five women. And then obesity, that's nearly three in five women. And then diabetes, that's more than one in eight. All of these conditions, and we talk about these conditions and what to do to prevent and control all the time here on our show we really hone on these because these are the conditions that will increase the risk for us having stroke eating too much salt or sodium can raise your blood pressure putting you at higher risk of stroke and researchers are also looking into the genes and you know It's genetics. We're talking about DNA and genetics now. But African-Americans, we are more sensitive. We might have the gene that makes us more sensitive to the effects of salt. And all of this, in turn, increases the risk of developing high blood pressure. And so all of these facts are kind of scary, but we do have good news. And that is that four in five strokes are preventable. And so that is why we always talk about that D knowing your numbers, know your numbers, know your numbers, and then know what your risk, what are your risk factors for stroke. And then you're going to take action. Just we always talk about taking action today, doing just something to reduce that risk. Today, we are excited, right, Dee? Yes, we are. Absolutely. Yes, we have joining us Ted W. Baxter. He's a massive stroke survivor. He is the author of his book, Relentless, How a Massive Stroke Changed My Life for the Better. And he is going to share with us his experience of recovery from his stroke. He also will share with us the seven vital keys to better stroke recovery in which he talks about in his book. And I know all of you because all of you, I think, will be motivated and encouraged, most especially if you are suffering from a stroke as well. There is hope and we can't wait to hear from him. We will look forward to that later in the show. Now, make sure, folks, you go and subscribe to this show. It's all about health and fitness, Vicky Doe Fitness, on Apple Podcast, Stitcher, or on any of your favorite platforms that you listen to. And we also want to tell you guys that we're on TuneIn. TuneIn, that means that if you have an Amazon Alexa, because D was telling me to make sure I tell y'all. I love Alexa. I love Alexa. You know, if you have that Alexa All you have to say to Alexa is, Alexa, play the podcast. It's all about health and fitness. And guess what? We'll come on. And if you have Echo, we got that too. So we got you covered. We want you to make sure that you listen, but you also go and give us a good review. We definitely will appreciate that. And we want to also make sure that folks know that if, you know, you want to look us up, you can go to our website as well. We are our VDF podcast, and we have all the archives of our show right on our website as well. But if you subscribe, you will get those notifications, those notifications saying that we have just posted a new show and this will keep you in tune with all the things that we are doing here at Vicky Doe Fitness. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your support. Thank you for,
2: for your support.
0: My week, my week was how busy. was your week? Well, it was
2: busy. I think I did see some pictures of you on Facebook.
0: Yes, I was doing a few little things
2: like Anything. chilling, yeah, <laughs> chillaxing.
0: Yes, but I also was doing work. But here's the thing: the thing that I posted on Facebook, date night, yay, yay, oh, let's that go. Was so funny, let's go. <laughs> that was- hilarious i saw that <laughs> let's go that was so let's funny. go and eat okay honey okay ha, so ha, ha. we go eat soon as we go to the place to
2: eat between uh, uh, you all look like zombies <laughs> <laughs> you said on the thing it's way past our bedtime and it
0: was what 7 30
2: <laughs> it was hilarious you all were trying to smile but you could just tell this was not the time or the and, place no
0: no so and so <laughs> then my friend i'm a had to get her, Dr. Rhonda. She was like, mm, "It's more like I done had too much wine." <laughs> but it was, it was a mix funny. of all of that. Yeah. You know, you be, you run. What they say, we be tied. <laughs> I, I understand. We be tied. Mm-hmm. But it was so funny. We we're like, "Yeah, we gonna do this. We gonna do." Shoot, we couldn't even get out. <laughs> it
2: was kind of like that. I have this thing on Facebook that I put on there about this little duck who falls asleep. He tries to wake up, and his little head. Falls asleep, and I put on there. This is to my kids, and they understand this is me telling my kids, Oh, let's watch a marathon of Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> my kids go, Before the first scene, I'm out. <laughs> and then my other one was, Let's watch Lord of the Rings. We're gonna do a big yes, marathon of Lord of the Rings. And Matthew and Mary go, Mom. You won't even pass the first scene. <laughs> right. You're probably right.
0: It's so funny how that happens, yeah. you know, and I always say sometimes we overestimate what we can really do. Absolutely. No you just got go to yeah, right? yeah, yeah. go with the flow, right? Yeah. You got to go with the flow. Got to go with the flow. But yeah, that was funny though. Yeah. That was Everybody was talking about that. <laughs> that was
2: hilarious. That was hilarious. How was your week? So I went to to see a very, very wonderful production of Dreamgirls in Canton. Ohio, given by this academy. It was at this, it was at a former church, and it was local talent. Excellent. I mean, um, the Youngstown Playhouse is going to be doing Dream yes, Girls in yes, September yes. That, that you know about, but this production was excellent. I just love, I love watching local talent because you don't realize what's in your own backyard. Mm-hmm. And these kids were just stellar, and they had great directors, you know, giving them guidance and stuff. And the costumes were fabulous. So, mm. yeah, it was, it was really, it was fun. Yeah, that was fun. Oh, that's good. Yeah.
0: So, what is going
2: on this week? Everything, Vicky. Everything. Mm-hmm. Well, you told me to look about I that Megan because she's doing great things, Well, you right? know, we went to the wedding, even though we weren't invited. We went anyway. We went anyway. And had a great time. Oh, my God. It yes was we fun. did. Yes, we so did. So Megan, Duchess of Sussex, is guest editing the September edition of British Vogue, and she's bringing a host of change-making women with her. This is something that she's been doing, I understand, for about the last six months mm-hmm. or, or more. Mm-hmm. So student climate crisis activist Greta Thunberg, New Zealand Prime Minister Jacinda Arthur. And she's the one that came on. She had a baby in office, but she was also the one that came out on the forefront after those people were killed in yes. New Zealand by that terrorist. Mm-hmm. An actress turned campaigner. We love her. Jane Fonda are among 15 leading female figures. She also has Laverne. Laverne Cox is okay. on there. Okay. Leading female figures set to appear on the magazine's cover titled Forces for Change. But most importantly, and maybe not most importantly, because all the women are important, but she also got First Lady Michelle Obama. Mm -hmm. But Meghan won't be on the covers herself. She felt it would be too boastful to include her image, according to British Vogue's editor-in-chief, Edward Innenfull. And instead chose to shine a light on women who inspire her. Actress Selma Hayek-Penault. She's married to this very wealthy guy, but she is an actress in her own right. And he's an art collector. And Jamila Jamil, boxer Ramla Ali, uh-huh. and author Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie are among uh, the other figures chosen to appear in the September issue. An interview between Meghan's husband, Prince Harry, Duke of Sussex, and anthropologist Jane Goodall is also set for inclusion in the magazine. I understand she just fawned all over her and talked about how she loved Jane Goodall from the time she was a little girl. Yes. The Duchess has highlighted a number of different causes through her picks with high-profile campaigners on climate change, LGBT rights, where well, she again features Laverne Cox, mental health, and the migrant crisis, all put in the spotlight. The group is described as a collection of trailblazing change makers united by their fearlessness in breaking barriers, according to a statement released by the royal family. The edition will hit newsstands on Friday, and the royal couple released a promotional video on their Instagram page on Monday, showing several of the cover stars during their photo shoots. And kudos to the former Meghan Markle, now Meghan Duchess of. Sussex
0: yes good kudos for good, good for, for her.
2: her yeah,
0: yeah for she's her. still doing a little she's good. still doing
2: yeah she's still doing a little good yes, absolutely yes and that's good and it, she has the best platform to she do does that, right? she absolutely does yeah yes, and her so. husband is supporting supporting her and that's good yeah, right yeah
0: well hey we're talking about another shit another Yet another shooting. Yet another. What is it? Gilroy Garlic Festival? Mm-hmm. And I didn't I didn't really know about this whole garlic festival thing. I didn't either. Isn't that something? I but know. it it happens in you know, I guess they do it all the time mm-hmm. in actually I think it was actually in what? California. Mm-hmm. But the guy, the extremist that ended up shooting, and I think they ended up killing him. Yes. I guess they were searching his home in Nevada. Mm-hmm. And they saw some things that suggest that he was one of those. It's
2: a typical story. An extremist. Yeah, it's just too bad they can't get these people before they break out and start shooting people it's just very sad that they're not hints and stuff like that and probably you know some of these people it's their stuff is in plain sight but people kind of just blow it off Mm -hmm. or they're just teasing or or whatever and they're not reported to the authorities and then they come out and do some tragedy so what's he killed a six-year-old boy 13 year old girl and a man in his 20s while injuring dozens of others ranging in the age from 12 to 69 it's terrible yeah it's just terrible. It's, yeah, I definitely
0: our prayers go out. But
2: absolutely, you know, he, he had an assault yeah, and he
0: weapon and he bought yeah, it legally. There it is. There it is. So There it is. <sighs> there, there it is. Well, you know, every time we do our show, we always make sure that we have a health tip. Since we are talking about stroke today, our health tip will be how to deal with stroke. And it says, if stroke happens, we want to act. FAST, and FAST is an acronym, F-A-S-T. Now, the F means face drooping. You ask the person to smile. Mm -hmm. Does one side droop? Mm -hmm. And then the A, that's arm weakness. Ask the person to raise both arms. Does one arm drift downward? Then the S, speech difficulty. Ask the person to repeat a simple sentence. Are the words slurred? Or do they have difficulty talking? The letter T stands for time. Time to call 911. So if the person shows any of these signs,
2: Mm -hmm. you call 911 immediately. Time is of the essence with a stroke. Big
0: time. Time is of the essence. Minutes count. Mm -hmm. Minutes count. Because remember, you're having when there's oxygen that is inhibited and it can't go to the brain cells, you're going to have damage. That's exactly right. You're going to have damage. So the quicker you get this person to the hospital and then with the ambulance, right. they have all that. That's why you call the 911 exactly. with the ambulance because they have all the equipment mm-hmm. and the paramedic
2: set up to help you. In route. And depending on what kind of stroke you have, there is the big clot buster that they use sometimes. And that that may prevent any of the, you know, sequelae and collateral damage that you see from a stroke. So, minutes count. Minutes count. Minutes count. If you want to go over this and get a copy of
0: it posted anywhere in your house or Mm -hmm. your office, you can go to the website. Make sure you go to CDC and in search... Look up strokes and it'll say guidelines. And they have this. This is the new thing that they're doing as of 2018. And it's um, the FAST Mm -hmm.
2: F A S T at FAST. Right. So, D. What's the latest? Well, we're still continuing to talk about Ebola, and I thought this was a good article from the New York Times. In Congo, a new plan to fight Ebola follows a government power struggle. After the resignation of the country's health minister, the president will take over the response to the epidemic and distribute a new vaccine. About time. Mm -hmm. Faced with a lethal Ebola outbreak threatening East Africa, public health officials are conceding that their battle plan is failing, duh, and have promised a comprehensive new strategy for containing the virus. It envisions reframing the epidemic as a regional humanitarian crisis, not simply a health emergency that may include more troops or police to quell the murders and arsons. And that's what we've been talking about. They can't get past this cultural thing Mm -hmm. that may make medical work difficult as well as food aid to win over skeptical locals. Good plan. Yes. The Democratic Republic of Congo also plans to deploy a second vaccine to form a protective curtain of immunity around the outbreak areas. The outbreak, which began a year ago and was declared a global health emergency this month, is now the second biggest in history with more than 2,600 cases and 1,750 dead. It has persisted in part because of the fierce but hidden power struggle within Congo's government for control of the response, according to documents obtained by the New York Times and interviews with Ebola experts. The country's health minister, Dr. Ilunga, resigned on Monday after a public dispute with donors at a meeting in Geneva over whether to roll out the second vaccine, which he opposed. So you got to get rid of these people that are hindering the, the eradication of this disease. Dr. Ilunga was the target of a scathing internal government report produced in April. Just as new cases began soaring, the report was written by a commission convened by Congo's new president, some of whose members are now overseeing the response. The report said, but arrogant national health officials took an aggressive and ostentatious attitude when they visited the outbreak area, renting deluxe hotel rooms, expensive cars. branded wow. This is just terrible. Yes, yes. So a spokeswoman for Dr. Alunga, of course, said it was weak, but whatever. Mm-hmm. They have all the the facts. So the country is seeking $288 million to implement its new Ebola strategy and is likely to get it. The World Bank recently offered $300 million. The United States increased its previous giving by $38 million. And federal aid officials have said they are committed to containing the outbreak at its source. Kudos to the new president. It looks like they're finally going. To, and this thing about d- doing, you know, a wall of immunity, vaccinating the people around it. So to mm-hmm. keep the, to keep it from spreading. So yes. this is the one thing that we did not have at the last epidemic, you know, when Liberia, Guinea and Sierra Leone were involved. Yes. So this is hopefully one of the ways that that we're going to be able to curtail this and you, new leadership. Just uh, hey, sometimes it le- just you gotta that's get what new, right. Leads? New leadership. That's what happens. Kudos to, to Johnson. And Johnson has offered five hundred thousand doses. The vaccine is easier to store and has been tested for safety in six thousand human volunteers. So, you know, out go the bad, in come the good. So that's it on Ebola. <laughs> All right. I'll keep everybody it. posted on the new government and how their campaign has been effective, or will hopefully be effective, big time. You had some other things. Yeah. People kind of have forgotten about Legionnaires. This Mm. is a bacteria that was first discovered in the early 80s. It was named for the Legionnaire, Legionnaire Conference in Philadelphia where a lot of people fell sick from this particular bacteria that was found in air ducts and air conditioning ducts. Now Legionnaires disease outbreak may have sickened dozens in Atlanta. The state said 11 people had contracted the disease and 50 more cases were probable. A Sheraton Hotel linked to the outbreak has voluntarily closed. The Georgia Department of Public Health said Monday that in addition to 11 confirmed cases of people who contracted the disease, 55 more cases were probable. There have been no reported deaths. The Sheraton Atlanta Hotel, which is on Cortland Street. They just put it out there, didn't they? I know. Wow. Voluntarily (laughs) decided to close (laughs) To close until the source of the Legionella is located and remediation is complete, according to state officials. The hotel closed on July the 15th and pending the results of an investigation and remediation, it could open sometime in August. The Sheraton brand was acquired in 2016 by Marriott which did not immediately respond to a request for comment. The first case of Legionnaire's disease tied to the hotel was confirmed about two weeks ago, and then they go on to talk about it's a type of pneumonia or lung infection that is fatal for about 1 in 10 people. People can contract it by inhaling small drops of water-contaminated with the bacterium legionella. And we have, you know, there's treatment for it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's an antibiotic that we give for it. And it's interesting that we always check for it because it's, you know, it's still around. People okay. say, well, yes. you know, so there's a particular antibiotic that we use, but we're always vigilant. Now at some hospitals, now what infection control people have done is that every now and then we have legionnaires check. They go in and they check the water fountains. Mm. They check the ice makers. Mm. These are things that you don't think about. The water fountains, the ice makers and all these things, the ducts where the air comes out, all these things are hidden places for bacteria. Mm -hmm. So every month when I was infection control chairman at another (coughs) job, Mm -hmm. we had the maintenance people to go around and give us, you know, a hand copy of all the results of the Legionnaires test. And sometimes we had to shut those water things down until they could be adequately tested. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah. And then the last article that I brought up, again, in my quest to try to make sure that people know about PrEP, and believe it or not, people are still not knowledgeable about PrEP, pre-exposure prophylaxis. And then they don't ask. So this article talks about most high-risk men don't take PrEP, pre-exposure prophylaxis, to prevent HIV. Among men who are at high risk for HIV infection, only about one in three is taking a drug to prevent transmission, according to the CDC. The drug, called Truvada, is taken daily as part of a a preventive strategy called pre-exposure prophylaxis, or PrEP. For the report published in MMWR, Morbidity and Mortality World Report, CDC researchers studied 7,800 high-risk men from 20 American cities who were negative for HIV and completed a behavioral survey in 2014 or 17. Those considered at high risk either had a partner who was HIV positive or had at least two male sex partners in the past year, And they reported having anal sex without a condom or sexually transmitted infections, syphilis, gonorrhea, or chlamydia in the past year. Among the men in the survey, PrEP use rose steeply from 2014 to 2017, from 6% to 35%. But PrEP use varied by race, with 42% of high-risk white men taking the drug, 30% of Hispanic men, and 26% of black men. Mm. Other reports have found lower rates of PrEP use with about 270,000 of the estimated 1 million Americans at high risk taking the drug. I think I talked about that last week. Mm -hmm. In February, the Department of Health and Human Services announced a plan to end the HIV epidemic in the United States with use of PrEP. As a cornerstone for the initiative, higher coverage is needed, especially among black and Hispanic men who have sex with men to end the epidemic in the United States by 2030. So they have a end HIV by 2030. I never thought Uh, in my lifetime that this would even be possible. But with this new drug. Yes. People do not have to get HIV. Isn't that something? So it it has the potential for revolutionizing this disease, whereas in 2030, hopefully we won't have any new cases.
0: Yes. And then
2: so now... In this country. Right. So now... Our
0: duty is to spread the word. Gotta spread the word. The health
2: awareness. Because they don't come to, patients don't come to me. The patients are, these are HIV negative people. Mm -hmm. So the frontline people have to be if you come to the emergency room, your doctor should ask if you're high risk. Your primary care physicians, they're the frontline people. You have to ask. Any visit to a doctor, where a patient is not asked if they're high risk for getting HIV is a missed opportunity. Yeah. So we have to continue to spread that word. That's my soapbox. You know that. Yes. 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 All right. And thank you, Dee. You are more than welcome.
0: And so today we talk about living life after a stroke. And we will discuss some of the actions that we should take if we think we are having a stroke. And we will also talk about how you can live And have quality of life, even if you have suffered from a stroke. And we have joining us today Ted Baxter. He's a stroke survivor. He is also the author of his book, Relentless How a Massive Stroke Changed My Life for the Better. And this is a book, he talks about his life recovery from a stroke, and he's gonna be here today to do the same with us. He will share with us his story. He will give us tips on how we can be proactive and know the signs of a stroke. He will also share with us why his life is better even after the stroke. Let's listen to our interview with Ted W. Baxter. Here with us today is Ted Baxter, a former financial powerhouse and an author of his book, Relentless, How a Massive Stroke Changed My Life for the Better. Now, Ted Baxter is a massive stroke survivor, and he's with us today to discuss and share with us the seven vital keys to better stroke recovery based on his own experience after his massive stroke. And he will also talk about his work as an advocate for those suffering from stroke and aphasia by his story we hope that all of us that are listening today will learn and those of you that may be suffering from a stroke today we hope that you will be encouraged as well so how are you today
1: thank you for having me on your show first of all Uh, it's really it's great to be here
0: yes and we are excited right Dee?
1: yeah
2: we're definitely excited to have you
1: here
0: first of all Tell us your story, and what was your life like before you had a stroke? And did you have any warning signs uh, while you were living that type of life?
1: I had been in the financial industry world for about 22 plus years. Um, I worked for a and I worked for CSFB for 90% of that period of my career. Then I landed a great job for one of the premier investment hedge firms. Its name is uh, Citadel Investment based in Chicago. I was a global managing director for a premier hedge fund, uh, institution. My job was a global financial controller for the firm. I worked for there. I worked there at uh, 2004 and part of 2005 uh, until my tragedy happened. So it was a huge job, uh, a ton of responsibilities. Uh, it, you, know, you can imagine. it was. Uh, it was it, I call it, as, it, it was a dream job. It, 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 was, it was a lot of pressure, though, and, and that maybe was the beginning of the end. And nothing in my family signified that I could get a stroke like I had. Uh, I had no warning signs, never had any mild strokes like uh, TIAs or uh, transient uh, ischemic attacks. My health was great. Uh, I exercised almost every day, had low cholesterol, didn't smoke, and only drank um, modestly. I was, as one doctor said, uh, healthy as a horse, mm. and I took really good care of myself. So that, that's that's from my, from my book. Uh-huh. Okay. My situation was due to things like stress and pressure that related to, you know, you, you related to my job, but you really couldn't predict it, you, you know, when that happened. Mm-hmm. But just to tell you really quickly uh, what, what, what happened on, on, the, on the April 21st, 2005, 14 years ago, it was truly terrifying. I was only 41 years old, so young at that the point. Uh, I finished my business trip that day in London and I took a flight back to Chicago. Uh, at that point, I was, war- I was working for a Citadel Investment. That night, I was watching television, The Apprentice of Whole Things, and commercials with my wife, and she repeatedly asked me questions, and still, I wasn't responding. So my wife got up from her chair and came up by me, and at that point, um, I-, I stared into space. Uh, I-, I started to sweat. Uh, a huge migraine started, and I knew I was, I was in trouble, but I couldn't, uh, I, was, I couldn't tell her. My wife called the police and the paramedics. I could hear words and sentences, but I couldn't formulate. The paramedics were asking me simple, simple questions like, um, you know, where are you right now? Uh, how many fingers am I holding up? Uh, but at the moment, I lost the power of language. I lost the power mm. of
0: okay. comprehension. Oh, wow.
1: And I discovered this later. I lost my ability to use my right side of my body as well. Mm. That was in a summary, that's that's really my stroke uh, story.
2: But you were conscious during that whole time you, you were aware of something, you were aware of that you were in trouble?
1: Yep. I mm-hmm. was uh I was still conscious. You know, the when the paramedics came into my house they were they were all about um my blood pressure. Mm-hmm. Okay, my blood pressure went down. It was thirty. Uh, there was a second uh, the 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 measurement. Diastolic. Diastolic. It, it, it was like thirty. Remember that they said that to my wife. They said, "Look, if he if he goes any lower, mm-hmm. he won't be there
2: mm-hmm. with us." So, did they bring you in? And I won't dwell on the technical aspects of it. But did they bring you in when they brought you into the hospital and did an MRI? What exactly did it show?
1: Uh, nothing. Nothing, at, the, at the point. At the point. At the point. Nothing. They they had. There were so many tests I, mm-hmm. I was through. Mm-hmm. CAT scans, mm-hmm. MRIs. Uh, there was a lot of blood. Drawing my blood and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then they, there was there was one that they thought that I had a, a seizure. And I couldn't I couldn't talk. Cause, mm-hmm. you know, I was just hearing. It. I was. That was my comprehension. Right at, at the moment was, uh, I was in and out. In and out. So now, now you're going to like, um, you know, not like, not like the, uh, the, the this happened. it was like two, two hours and then I, I started to nod off. My brain wasn't mm-hmm. working, functioning.
0: Wow. We can tell that you probably were, did you have feelings of, of being frightened? Because a lot of times when things happen like that, do you remember fi- feeling frightened when you were going oh, yes. through
1: that? yeah, it was, I was frightening for, for, it's very frightening for me to have this. I mean, I I, I didn't know what what, what had happened. At the, it's still at that, the, at the moment. You know, I didn't know what happened to me. I thought I thought um, feelings that came to mind. It was a heart attack. Okay, that, that was dawning my head, mm-hmm. and you know I couldn't tell anybody about this because I, I I couldn't talk at the point. So I, I waited. I waited until my my wife. You know, she came back from talking to the doctors, and you know, to, 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 to let to let me know what's going on. But you know, at, at that point, you know, I'm telling you this. Uh, this is via my ex-wife, right? Because you know, my comprehension was not there for for one week or two weeks mm-hmm. after after I had my stroke. Mm.
0: All right. Okay. Once a person has um, experienced a stroke, the usual healthcare system is set up that they would want a person to get at least well enough and get in that mode enough to be able to start the recovery and rehabilitation process immediately. So, what was your experience with your recovery and your rehabilitation, and how did your family, your friends, you know, the doctors and therapists? Were they invaluable to you with this process? Did they help you in your recovery?
1: Oh, yes. Yeah. Slow, arduous process, the whole thing. I mean, you know, starting to recovering myself and, you know, going through rehab and then re- recovering it and then I have to figure out, you know, what was, what was the worst. Should I, should I figure out my, my speech or should I figure out my, my physical mobility? You know, um, so it was it was slow process. My wife, if it weren't my wife was there, I probably wouldn't be telling the story right now. Okay, She was a a godsend to me. You know, we created a special bond and a relationship that was more than a wife or at the point or a, a, a carrier. She was the one person that truly gets me you know, supported me, and she stayed by my side until I could understand 75% of a conversation. You know, she stuck with me, you know, four or five years after that, after the, the stroke. We had some issues before, uh, before the stroke happened, so we agreed after I had the stroke that we would we'll put that on aside. Until I recovered enough, and then and put it on the table again, which is this, this is the the, the issue of, of divorce. But that said, she was the best of of I had, um, in in the in the situation, because I was living there in Chicago. My brothers and my younger sister, they all lived in Long Island, uh, New York. They were, you know, my ex-wife. She'd call them immediately. They, you know they were they turned it turns up in Chicago and the hospital the next day mm-hmm. so they were fantastic yes I mean uh, you know you could never have uh, a, a great system that I had I mean and my wife had uh, like a couple of two two or three friends very close and they were they were showed up at the, at the hospital and I couldn't believe it. You know, you know what I what I'll say to you know a lot of these these things are, you know, so so it was very critical for me to have this uh, support system.
2: Yes, mm-hmm. yeah. you did say. I heard a couple of your interviews. The one that I really liked was the the stroke cast with the Gen Xers who've had a stroke, but. Two things. Number one, I really admired while I listened to you a lot on your um, broadcast, how you referred to your wife as your wife, not your ex-wife or your former wife. I mean, it appeared that and the the interviewer knew that you had remarried, but, you know, you the kind of respect that you showed to her in the process of helping you in your recovery. I really admire that. I wanted to say that. But the second thing is, you 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 did comment on friends, that maybe the friends, you know, your wife was great and your family, but can you maybe just briefly speak about your friends and how that was a little different?
1: The friends, they were, they they were really there from my wife's friends, right? Because at the moment, I still was in Chicago within less than two years, Mm -hmm. So I was just getting myself ready to to you know where, you know Chicago is uh, the is a big big city but less less bigger than New York City. So I was just getting my my uh, my things around there.
2: So I didn't have
1: uh, I I didn't really have good friends w- w- with me until until it was like the, the second uh, the day three and that was my friend her name is Doug Butler and she showed up with with her with his wife and the these are fantastic fantastic for me to have them so they stayed with me and you know we're talking they're, they're talking about to like bring me a, a Wall Street Journal mm-hmm. for me to give it to me Mm-hmm. Right. Because they, they knew they knew I couldn't talk. Right. You have people that were that were sitting with me and, and 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 telling me what was going on in the world. And without me even knowing what was going on. But for, for, to have a person like that doing that. Fantastic. Right.
0: Right. Yeah. Oh, definitely. It is all about that support that is around you when you are. In these type of challenges. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's all about support. When it comes to recovery and rehabilitation from a massive stroke, it can be a long, hard road. And where was your point in in your recovery process? Where was your point where you say, you know what, I'm going to give it all that I have so that I can at least put myself back together again. Tell us about that.
1: Well, the thing is, is uh, on this one, you know, recovery and uh, rehab from a, from a massive stroke. It, this is a, a long, long road. But it's, it's positive mindset and having a hope, keeping your faith. Those two are overarching words are key. So if you if you happen to have a, it doesn't have to be a stroke. If you have a TBI or something like that, or you know if you're something, and uh, you have a disease, something like that, you're, you're trying to overcome that. And you just keep in mind those two uh, two words: positive mindset and uh, having hope. You need to be in your mind. So that's the first. Now, w- in my situation, I, I, I had certain factors that I think that helped me. Uh, I have grit. Uh, perseverance, determination, uh, a will to, to, to try to do things differently. If it, if it, for example, if it, if it doesn't work using plan A, I was going back to plan B. You know, I, I was never afraid to fail and I always got back, myself back up and being relentless. It took, me, it took me a long time for me to finally understand and accept my new reality. Uh-huh. But when I, when I finally did that, accepted it, that's when my recovery took off. Uh-huh. So you know, you know, it wasn't it wasn't like you know next next month. It was like nine, eight, nine months. Okay. You know? And I had to really thinking about why I can't go back to, to do my job. I really it took me a long a long months, a lot of months, for me to figure that out.
2: You described yourself as an overachiever, and I thought about that even before I heard you say that on that show, that that's how you describe yourself. Do you still think that, that that helped, being an overachiever helped?
1: Yeah, yeah, that that's, uh, it definitely helps. I mean, uh, yeah. Every day I wake up, um, I'm thinking about uh, what, what can I can do uh, of, a, of, an, of eight hours next day? What am I going to do mm. that I could put all the, the activities as much as I can fit in in uh, one day, uh, I'm going to do that, you know what I mean, I, I, uh, I, am not, I'm not, I'm a never, I never hang out, you know, it doesn't, you know, like um, uh, it's, it's that's why it's, it's for me to go to, to have a vacation, it's, it's great, but, uh, I'm not sure I can do it,
0: <laughs> you gotta have a work <laughs> <laughs> Yeah,
2: that's why I'm, I'm,
1: I'm very happy, I have, a, I have a new wife, which is great, with uh me to just take it break take it take it easy you don't have to worry about that
0: stuff now. let's talk about your book it takes time to write a book why did you decide why did you decide to write this book and the book is called relentless how a massive stroke changed my life for the better what was the motivating factor for you to say you know what i'm gonna write a book
1: <laughs> yeah I, w- I want i want i want to Stroke survivors and caregivers and the loved ones, uh, yeah, and this goes to general readers as well, to know that there is hope uh, wherever your medical crisis may take you. The, the, the real reason why I wrote the, my book is to really to give awareness of stroke and aphasia to the readers, which is is no, really so so uh, so amazing that that. You have a, a lot of people that don't know what aphasia means, mm-hmm. what it is. And so I figured, okay, I'm going to write this book. I'm going to educate them. So that's one reason why I, I decided to, uh, to write this book. Uh, the second one, by reading my memoir, you can use your own life experiences to teach you some important lessons that I have, I have learned. You know, I hope, I hope that by sharing these moments, around around my tragedy, uh, uh, my situation, I have changed people, or, or at least I made them aware of some of the lessons I've learned and to be able to help people in similar situations.
2: For our audience out there, Ted, I just want to just focus on, just so they'll understand, you had global aphasia, meaning that you couldn't speak in your speech and understanding. You had to learn English all over again? Sort of like if people were learning it as a second language?
1: Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I remember you talking about that. Is, I mean, it's, a, it's basically, the, basically the impediment of language. You can't, you don't know what's going on. Uh, for example, you didn't know what the verbs uh, are, are uh, nouns are, yeah, you know, and it's just like you have all that stuff in in, in the treasure box, but it's it's having in the in the, in a treasure box without having the le- the key. So it took me it took me two uh, so many hours it's too many uh, too, too many um, uh, years to figure that out. You know, I could figure it out uh, if I, could, I figure out. Well, if I go to uh, if I if I do my education on the nouns. If i get that first if i get that first
2: then after that I go
1: to verbs and then, 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 then after that i go to preposition split in 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 with that mm-hmm. you know and you know so it's it's really it's it's really it's really um and a, a, a great study if you wanted to read read uh of english but for me i want i really wanted to try to get get out there back in mm-hmm. society so i can where I usually do. I I know how to, to to talk a little.
0: I say that we are just just listening to you telling your story. I am just very moved how long you have come, most especially if you got to start learning, if you had to learn how to talk and just communicate all over again. That's that's hard.
1: Yeah, it, it was. It was.
0: But you had you had determination, right? <laughs>
1: i did yes i do i still have
0: in your book if a person is reading your book and they want to you know they want to know your story and you give seven keys to recovering from a massive stroke what what will it be you know what are at least give us a few of these seven keys
1: what i was talking about um there is that control control the risk whether whether you have suffered from a stroke or you're aware of it from not somebody else who has it there, there are many of the common risk factors you can you can control mm-hmm. for example if, if you know what your blood pressure is and, and it's control then diabetes heart disease or you know cholesterol levels that that kind of stuff mm-hmm. if you can just if you if you assessment if you can assess it and you know where it is that is key for, for the mostly uh, the people around there the other thing i will point out is keep learning and asking questions after a stroke so particularly if well, if, you, if you have have a, a stroke do mm-hmm. don't stop to asking questions now, mm-hmm. now obviously it's not you you know you would not be the person to telling you that if you if you have your stroke but if you have your you have your friends or you have your know, loved ones, or wives, or husbands are out there. Tell them right now, before before you ever have a have a, a, a stroke. Look, you, look, just just tell you. I just you want to make sure that you know what what a stroke is and what a, uh, what a, what what is uh, aphasia means. So that in in the, in the case where you happen to be, uh, if you have a one stroke, then they can ask all those questions for you. Well, that's key.
0: When a person reads your book, then it's more like a, it's a little bit about your story, but it's a guide as well? How should they read it?
1: Yeah, I, I would think that you should read it as a guide. Okay. A guide. Um, just as long as you, just, it's not a prescription or a panacea. Mm-hmm. That will solve all strokes or aphasia you might have. So, but it's a memoir with, with major problems in it. But I address a lot of those those issues with that 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 deals with, with my situation, and that that's what I wanted to show. I, I wanted the, the, the readers that, that you can, you can go through this, and you know you can you can battle back. So, but I'm not saying that you should do what I, I actually say. You know that I did on the, on you know on the book, but you can use it as a guide.
2: One thing I wanted to ask you, you were talking about, and the interviewer was talking about, you had quantifiable goals when when it came to walking, like 20 steps and then 100. How are you now? It's been, what, 14 years? How are you now from a physical standpoint?
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, well, I'm pretty good uh, with, uh, you know, walking. I mean, you know, I need to be careful if I I do so much running uh, at the gym. Mm-hmm. But um, but now nowadays I always um, I'm gonna work out from 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 now until I die.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I have I have a one one trainer, and I go see him like twice uh, every week. And then after then I I go to the gym and two times after that. I'm always gonna work out my my arms, my legs. Uh, Yes,
2: whatever. I,
1: I said to the, the trainer, I said, look, um, he probably he knows now because he he, he he read my book. But if, I said, if you didn't if you didn't read my book, would you would you come in in this gym right now and know that I have a stroke? And he said, no, I would not. Wow. So, so I that's what I that that's that's my kudos uh, to uh, you. Measure.
0: Wow, that's great. That means people can heal. Even after a stroke, if they do the things that are necessary, right?
1: Yes, absolutely right. I have always get these questions about about having the, uh, the doctors and you know what what do they say and what about their prognosis and I mean and you know and, and it's, you have to give them give them a, a credit. I mean, doing this job as a, as a as a doctor. I mean. They they didn't know what to, to say. I mean, and you know maybe maybe they go to schools and they, they have to they, they they should use words or something like that. But they uh, I heard this from secondhand. This is from my from my wife at the point that you know they said to me that um, well I said this to her. I said look uh, he, he's only going to have probably a two year window. Try to gain speech beach back uh, using therapists, or training, or whatever. But after that, he's going to have plateaus. And that was that was the words that they said. They, they said it, but they said it to the wrong person.
2: Right. Right. Good for
0: you. <laughs> Good for you. That's it. You said that in your book. You said having a stroke. It changed your life, but for the better. Come on now. Tell us, how, how would a stroke change your life for the better?
1: <laughs> I, I use this as a silver lining. Okay. I use this word. Um, anyway, I, I said, yeah, I, I agree. I, it, it is. And it's now 14-plus years after my mm-hmm. stroke. Right? And my life is better now than what it was then. Mm-hmm. So I, I wouldn't suggest a stroke for anybody but because mm-hmm. I had it, uh, I needed a different life script. Mm-hmm. So I tried so many ways. I have different, different ways in my brain. And uh, so far, I've succeeded to live in a more meaningful, active, caring life. My relationships, my education, my writing, in terms of the development, the progress of my book, you know, I want to help. I, that's what I do every, every day. I'm helping people.
2: Do you purposefully minimize stress now?
1: Yeah. <laughs> yes. I don't have a, I'm not, have i am not i am not getting so stressed about this. You know, if it happens, it'll happen. Not, it's not a time to So, you know, my contribution and giving back, I volunteered to a hospital to help stroke survivors and people with aphasia. I'm working for a non-profit, volunteer-based uh, communication recovery group with SLTs and working with stroke survivor clients, at least I'm working with clinicians to tell them to how, to, how to get better as a uh, therapist. I told them that, look, you're not going to have any, they're not going to have this in a textbook, if I can tell you that. Uh, all of this I've extended and amplified myself. So I'm learning learning now how to appreciate life more in a balanced way, not being self-absorbed in Mm -hmm. one thing only. I learned that having a successful career is maybe not the most important thing.
2: Right.
0: I want you to tell all of us how we can buy your book and how we can get in touch with you.
1: Okay. Well, you can just go through the Internet. well first you can can subscribe to my newsletter you can get it by go to my website which is www.headw.baxter.com. there you can subscribe to my newsletter but that'll when you go there that's going to show you how to how to purchase my book and it's going to put you show you that you can uh, Amazon Barnes & Noble or there's a lot of uh, independent um, hosts, distributors that are out there. So it's, it's, all, it's all controlled by my website.
0: I want to thank you. Thank I you. I want to thank you. Absolutely. For sharing with us your story and... I know people will be encouraged by your motive. Well, you were determined. I mean, you know, most people think that when they have these things, they have, you know, the heart attacks and the stroke, that that's the end for them. But you have definitely shown us that, no, this is just a beginning to a new phase of your life. And so we appreciate you coming and sharing
2: with Absolutely. us. Absolutely. Right, Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure.
1: It's been my
2: pleasure. Great. Now, D... This ends our show. So do you have some tips, my yeah, friend? I was just absolutely fascinated by Ted. Mm-hmm. It shows his motivation, determination coming back from a massive stroke where he couldn't talk and had to learn English all over again. But I think one of the take home points that he made was that just that his motivation and determination. And each day, you know, he looked at a, an opportunity to improve, to get better, to speak a little bit more, to learn more words, to walk a little bit farther and stuff. I thought he was great yes it's so motivational
0: it was and i was just thinking to myself hey you know a lot of times we especially for all of us that deal in you know healthcare, we see this all the time folks that are uh dealing with crisis health right. crisis mm-hmm. in their life mm-hmm. but you know if you have that mindset right and you have hope you got that family right remember he was talking about his support yeah. from, from his family mm-hmm. You can have some type of recovery that's not bad at all. Exactly. I mean, we're listening to Ted and he's
2: talking. Yeah, he's talking and walking. And walking. Yeah. And enjoying life. I I just thought it was great. So kudos to him. Kudos to him. him. Yes. Kudos to him. And we
0: want all of you guys, make sure you go to Amazon and get his book. It's called Relentless, How a Massive Stroke Changed My Life for the Better. And to know more about the author, Ted W. Baxter, go to his website, www.tedwbaxter.com. And as always, for more information, go to our website, www.vickidofitness.com. And remember, if you have any questions, comments, or just something to say, tweet us, email us, go on Facebook, and share with us your thoughts.
1: You've been listening to It's All About Health and Fitness with Dr. Vicki hayward Doe and Dr. Virginia Banks-Bright. Vicki Doe is owner of Vicki Doe Fitness, a multimedia health and wellness forum, a place to discuss, learn, and participate in healthy living. You can get in touch with Vicki by email at info at vickidohfitness.com.